Context Podcast is proudly sponsored by Delta Wines and Brick and Mortar, our everyday go-to with sustainability built in. Delta Wines are vibrant yet balanced, made to be enjoyed on special occasions. Brick and Mortar was founded in 2011 and has worked to create the European Wine Drinkers California Wine. The wines are small lot, single vineyard sourced from Napa, Sonoma County, and Mendocino Ridge. In addition to tasting good, they also help you feel good with an eco-friendly packaging and environmental nonprofit donations with every purchase. Buy online at winesforchange.com. Also, use the code CONTACTS to support us and get a discount. The presentation is beautiful. The wines are great. You'll be supporting Saving the Earth. What more do you need? Again, that's online at winesforchange.com. Discount code CONTACTS at checkout. Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Element is thrilled to be releasing a new limited-time flavor this November, Element Milk Chocolate. I drink Element every day to support my workouts and being on the court and in the classroom. As a member of our community, Element has a special offer for you. Claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours today at drinkelement, that's L-M-N-T, dot com slash contacts. Elroy's Fine Foods, the uncommon market. A revival of the community market, promising you an uncommon shopping experience and the finest of groceries and prepared foods. When Chloe and I first envisioned what Elroy's Fine Foods would become, we wanted to build a market that was focused on building community. A beautiful store that not only sells incredible foods, but also prioritizes environmental and social responsibility, and provides the community with a safe space to shop, eat, and hang out. Elroy's Fine Foods is located in Monterey, California, offering the most delicious prepared foods, curated groceries, certified organic produce, a full-service bulk food section, fine cheeses, natural wines, local beers, and humanely raised meats and sustainably caught seafood. Elroy's Fine Foods, the uncommon market. 15 Soledad Drive, Monterey, California. Hello, and welcome to Contacts, a podcast dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches sharing what they have learned throughout their career. I want to open the door into my network of contacts whose innovative, reflective, and diverse coaching knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. I'm your host, Justin Klein. Welcome back to Context. We are blessed to be joined today by Jamie Beckler, former college basketball coach, former high school athletic director, and author of The Bus Trip and The Leadership Playbook, which I have in my arsenal. Coach, thanks for joining us today. Super excited to have you here and pick your brain on some things. Awesome, Justin. I appreciate it. I love what you do, both as an AD on the front lines every day, but also with this show of helping broaden that knowledge and broaden those insights and helping others as well. The whole impetus of this thing was to create a digital database of mentorship for generally people early in their career, but it's found legs for people across their career because you get access to other ideas. So in order to set the foundation for that, and since you're so multifaceted here, if you could take us through your background as a coach, I, I'd love to know how you got into the, the profession. What was the process for landing your first job, any subsequent jobs? And then in your case, obviously, the transition to what you're doing now. Yeah, I appreciate that. I coached at the college level for about 20 years. I coached at all the different levels other than junior college. So at all the four-year levels, I coached both men and women. And I was a head coach at four different places. Lots of experience. I coached at public schools. I coached at private schools. And then eventually when I was done with coaching, I went in to be a high school athletic director. I went to Indiana 
to be an athletic director at a place that had the fifth largest high school gymnasium in the world, seated over 7,000 people. Nobody in Indiana won more boys basketball state titles than the school I was at. And you think Indiana basketball, we were at, if not the Mecca, we were at one of the Mount Rushmore's of Indiana programs. So that was fun being a basketball coach. That was fun. But speaking of Indiana, John Wooden's from Indiana. I know you're out in California. John Wooden is a legend in, in basketball coaching and, and California. And he kind of had a, a big part of me getting into coaching. I wish it was because he took me under his wing. It wasn't that kind of thing. But I'm in seventh grade and my dreaded English teacher, who I couldn't stand, she's a stereotypical English teacher that scares everybody. But she had this little library in the corner of her room, of her classroom. And one day she's, hey, Jamie, I know that you are a basketball player. I know you like sports. Why don't you go over there and check out the sports section? So I went over there, checked out a book, found a John Wooden book. They call me coach. Mm -hmm. And I would love to say that I read that book. And as a seventh grader, I was so mature. I was so above everybody else that I was like, yes, I want to be a coach like John Wooden. It wasn't quite like that, but it was the very first time that I realized that there were coaches out there that would care about me, even if I was missing shots or having turnovers, even if I was coming off the bench. Mm -hmm. See, I was like most kids that are in seventh grade, we've only had a few coaches and, and we're in a bubble about what coaching is. And I saw John Wooden and man, whether you were starting or coming off the bench, he loved you up and he connected with you and he treated you. And I was like, I want to coach like that. So it wasn't quite, I'm going to be a coach like that, but it was the first time that it, it exposed me to coaches that care, yeah. that literally care. And so as I got older and older, I realized that, hey, this pro thing isn't going to work out for me. So I need to be a coach and became a college basketball coach and traveled a lot, got married, was the typical basketball gypsy or nomad traveling around all the time, going from job to job. And yeah, really enjoyed it. Loved it. It was fun. Essentially, you never had to work a day in your life in a way, even though you were working 16, 17 hours, it, it wasn't really work. It was fun. But I learned a lot along the way, but it was a lot of fun. Let me ask you this, just as a quick follow-up, so we could steal an anecdote. Realized the professional thing wasn't going to work out, so I got into coaching. What did that moment look like as far as how did that opportunity present? What was the process for you getting into that space so that you can offer for those people that maybe are in this thinking about how do I get into coaching? What's the entryway that worked for you and what other entries are you aware of? When I say the professional thing didn't work out, that's more tongue in cheek because every basketball player growing up thinks that I'm good enough. I can get a D1 scholarship and then I'll go to the pros. And if it was only that simple, but I, I realized when I went to college to play, my best friend became the athletic trainer in the water cooler. And that was unusual for me. I, I wasn't used to that. And so I got to see coaching from a different perspective. I got to see playing from a different perspective. I was no longer a star. I was no longer a starter. Mm -hmm. and, and so I started watching film sessions a little bit differently. I started being like, okay, I'm not playing, but I was maybe not mature, but I was mature enough to understand it's not always coach's fault. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't good enough. And so when I would watch film session, when I would have meetings with coaches, when they would talk to the team, I would start to watch it from a bigger picture standpoint and listen mm -hmm. and see the whole forest and not just my tree. And I was a freshman and a senior on the team. He was an all-American point guard. He eventually went to grad school and became a grad assistant. Mm -hmm. And that was the very first time that I realized that you could be a college basketball coach without being a star in college. He was a star in college. But he started telling me all the ways to be a GA and all the other people that he was associated with. Because I just thought, all right, I'll be a coach. That means I'll be a history teacher in a high school coach <laughs> or a PE teacher in a high school coach. That's what I thought coaching was going to be. Mm -hmm. So I was really excited because I can now coach college and didn't have to teach. So I followed him. I went actually to the same school for my grad degree as he did four years later. Mm -hmm. And I became a grad assistant as well. And just connections. I started working camps. I grew up in the Midwest. I went to Michigan's camps, mm -hmm. worked at Michigan's camps, developed so many relationships with future coaches. I grew up with guys that, you know, people like Chris Holtman, who's the Ohio state men's basketball coach. We would travel when we were measly little NAIA coaches making like a couple hundred bucks a month. 
<laughs> we would travel to recruiting events together. We would hang out together because we were both poor. We were both young, you know, but in the coaching business and the people listening to this, they know that whether they're an AD or a coach, right. you develop so many great relationships. But anyways, I finally saw the relationships I built as a player. Mm -hmm. those people went on to be ADs. They went on to be coaches and they also helped me along the way. And they helped guide me and put in good words for me and help me fill out applications and do all this stuff to get into the coaching profession. And they really taught me at an early age to value relationships and to value people. And I think that's huge because we are in a people business as an AD, as a coach, you are in the people business. We didn't get into this to get rich. That's for sure. Very few of us are ever going to be rich coaching or being an AD. Right. We got into it to give back or to make a difference. No, I love that answer. And it's funny that you said, I finally realized you didn't have to be a star as an athlete to be a coach. And I got my start. I was a manager at UC Davis for a guy that at least on the West coast is, is one of the linchpins of college basketball and Bob Williams. And when we won the national championship and he went and, and left and the assistant got the head job, I was fortunate enough to be hired as assistant. And it was like, wow, I didn't even play in college. And then from there, to your point, it was like making $400. It was like my salary was six grand for the year. And it was like uh, a year into that, my wife was like, hey, you need to get a job. I'm going back to school. And I'm like, I have a job. She's like, no, one that pays you. I go, oh. So then it was like, okay, I guess I'm going to be that history teacher. I was an English teacher and high school coach. And that just sometimes your shifts, right, are not your own decisions. But that's led me to really believe in this idea that sometimes our best decisions are made by other people because I'm on this path because of that moment. So I love that story. You say the money. My first five years of being a college basketball coach, first five years. Yeah. In four of those years or three of those years, I'm married. Okay. But the first five years as a college coach, I made $36,000 total mm -hmm. in five years as a college basketball coach. I'm making less than my wife, who's a, an entry level bank teller. And they don't necessarily make a lot of money, but I'm completely devoted to the craft. I'm completely devoted to the players. I'm soaking in everything. I'm like Siamese twins with my head coach. I'm trying to learn everything I can from him. And you know what? The sixth year of being a college coach, I'm one of the youngest NCAA head coaches in the country. Yep. I'm a division three head coach yep. at age 27 because of the sacrifice and all the me just being a sponge for five years and living on macaroni and cheese and love. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no doubt. The other thing you said, which I thought it might slide under the radar. So I want to make sure I bring it out there is that this is a relationship business value, those value people and the whole impetus of this podcast and the title context is because I got 4,500 people in my phone book from over the years where I am the Malcolm Gladwell connector, right? Do you know how to do this? No, but I have a guy. And so it was like, how do we tap into this and share that expertise? And that's hell why you're on here. So I appreciate you being on in that sense. And it leads me to the second piece of, all right, you got that first head job at 27 years old and you've been a sponge for five years. You think you have it figured out. And then you sit down and it move 18 inches over or leave. And it's like, all right, I got this. Here's what we're going to do. And then left cross. What did you realize right away? You didn't have a clue and you still needed to figure out. Well, specifically, I went from Indiana to Texas. So a totally different region. I also went from men to women. And really, I, I won't get too much into that other than just to say I probably watched three women's basketball games in the previous three years put together. So I was not familiar with the women's game. Now, there's women's coaches out there right now that are just banging their head against the wall being like mad because I got that chance. Mm -hmm. But I did get that chance. And, and it actually was through relationships. Through relationships I had, I was able to get an interview. And then in the interview, I was able to win the other people over who didn't know me. But anyway, so there was a lot of learning the women's game that I didn't understand. Certainly learning being a head coach, because it's like marriage. Mm -hmm. You are never, ever ready for marriage and you're never, ever ready to be a head coach. You might be more prepared than somebody else and you might be more prepared than you were last year, but you're never ready for either of those things. So I wasn't ready to be a head coach, but I was more prepared than a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. But even though... 
I knew it was about people, even though I cared about people, I cared about my players. I wanted to give back, wanted to make a difference. I also was a pretty big fan of myself mm. and I was a pretty big fan of me having earned this role of being a 27 year old head coach, not just a first time head coach at 27, but a dude that wasn't even from the region and a guy that had never coached women's basketball. So I must've been pretty good. And so I thought that I had all the answers going in there. Mm -hmm. That was not a really smart move. I might've known some answers, but when you're the smartest guy in the room, sometimes that's not always a good thing because the people there, they don't want to feel like you're the smartest guy. They don't care that you earned your dues. They don't care that you know all these plays. Mm -hmm. They don't care. What they want to know is how can you help me achieve my goals, my dreams, my desires? How can you help me look good? And that's not something I did, even though I cared about people. Mm -hmm. See, that's the thing. I cared about them, but they didn't know that because I didn't demonstrate that daily. It was all about my culture, my program, my team, my vision. And it was all good stuff, but it was all my, my my program. You're ruining my program. You're ruining my play. And even though my program, my plays were designed for the greater good, we didn't have ownership. There wasn't kids investing in it because it was my, my. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so I think two things can be true at the same time because people will hear, oh, you were a selfish coach. You must not have cared about your kids. Well, I cared but I also cared about our program. And when I say our program, my program, I cared about both of them. Mm -hmm. It's just, they would come in conflict sometimes. It was almost like that angel and devil on your shoulder. Mm -hmm. I cared about both of those things, but if push came to shove, I was going to put the program first, which is to a degree, something you have to do right. to a degree, but it should be our program that right. you're putting first, not just my program. Yeah. And you introduce a very interesting thing there that my president talks about teenagers, especially having a difficult time reconciling that two things that seem to be in opposition can both be true, right? They're very black and white. There's no gray space at this age. So yeah, you love your players. You care about your players and you also have to sustain the program. And what's the delicate balance of who are we serving? Right. So what I want to know, I'm going to jump ahead and then come back to something else. It's like how over those 20 years did your approach change and where did you land that if all of a sudden the school down the street called because something happened and they needed you to step in the day before the season started? What's that going to look like now after everything you learned in 20 years? How did your approach change and now what becomes the focus? Yeah, gosh, I, I wish you know, I could get in that DeLorean or the Wayback Machine and go back in time because, mm -hmm. man, a living. Every year, I felt like I got to be a little bit better coach because I screwed up the year before. And then when I got into being an AD, your perspective changes as well. You know, you, you see different parts of that forest. It's not only that you're not seeing just your tree, but you're seeing even different parts of a whole forest. Mm -hmm. And then when you get out of being an AD and you do what I'm doing now, which is consulting with so many different sports teams, you mm -hmm. see things from a different point of view as well. And, and when I say it needs to be about our culture, our program, I really mean that it needs to be, and, and I'm, I'm going to get semantical here and I, I don't mean yeah. to, but we don't need buy-in from our players. We need them to take ownership and be invested in the whole process. Now I, I say buy-in like it's this bad word, but sometimes we say we need our players to buy in and what we're really are saying it's not a bad thing, but we're saying we want them to accept what we're saying. We want them to accept our vision. I don't necessarily want players to buy into what I'm saying. I want them to take ownership mm -hmm. in the whole process. Let's figure this out together. Yes, someone has to make a decision. Obviously, we're splitting hairs here a little bit. Someone has to make a decision ultimately, mm -hmm. but we can have discussions. We can say, all right, what's best for everybody? What do you guys want? And I'll bring it down to a very simple way. All right. I bring Justin in at the end of the year for our end of the year evaluation meeting. And I've got a list of three things Justin needs to improve on if he's going to play more next year, or if he's going to be more happy or help the team. Okay. I'm going to tell Justin what my three, these three things are. And I want him to buy into that mm -hmm. because I know what he needs to work on. These mm -hmm. are three things he needs to work on. And I hope that he buys into this. I hope he agrees with me on that stuff. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Okay. As opposed to bringing Justin in and being like, Hey, Justin, what'd you think about your season? What do you think about your game right now? Mm-hmm. What would be two or three things that you think you want to work on this off season? Or how could you help this team be better? Mm-hmm. Justin's now going to tell me something. And those might be the same things that are on that list. They might not be, but regardless, Justin has now invested in that process. And he has now told me, he's almost spoken it into the universe, but he's told me what's in his mind. So now I can remind him about those things. Now it's, he's verbalized it. Now it's not coach Beckler. It's not coach Beckler telling me these things. Now it's Justin telling coach Beckler. And that's how I think coaches mess up sometimes because it is all about them and their program. Yeah. And sometimes you could actually get your players to be on the same page with you by just asking them if, if they have the same opinion as you will get that opinion before you tell them what opinion they should have. We've all been around these players who work really hard in the off season. They'll do all these off season workouts. They work really hard, but then they all of a sudden don't work hard when you give them a specific program they have to do. And I'm not saying don't give them programs, but sometimes we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Sometimes we have Justin who works really hard, Mm -hmm. but now we tell Justin exactly what he's supposed to do. And he fights back against that. He was going to work out. He was going to work out even harder than this program, but now you're telling him what to do. Number one, he's not bought in, but number two, he doesn't feel he's has ownership in the process. No thousand percent. And I think what you have described there is moving from the old school dictatorial approach to a collaborative approach where you are, it's not buy-in. You're walking alongside of them and you're putting the athlete at the center of this thing and trying to figure out how you can support and how you can grow them to then ultimately help our program and help them achieve their goals through dialogue, right? Through conversation, through asking, what is it that you seek versus assuming it, which is a huge, like you said, the DeLorean. I always ask that at the end. It's yeah. You know what? If we could go back and give ourselves the keys to the test, it's like, hey, this is going to make you a whole lot happier if you just do it this way. So I love that. And it leads me to my next question. And because you have now moved into primarily a consulting role, I think you're going to have at least a unique opportunity here. But if I were to say, what's the best thing you do in your program that will go with you if that job came tomorrow, no matter what, it's like, we're doing this. I don't even care what talent I have. What would that look like? But in your role, you've probably worked with enough teams and seen enough things that you can snipe one or two things. It's like, these are foundational and this is what you have to do. Without question, I have an answer for that. A lot of coaches aren't going to like that answer because it's not X's and O's related. But I see one of the biggest mistakes we make as coaches is that we try to be, we try to fix symptoms as opposed to getting people healthy. Mm-hmm. In other words, we try to put new plays in or change the starting lineup or do window dressing. We, we put lipstick on a pig, mm-hmm. but we don't spend time developing those people and helping them be better. We spend all of our time trying to get compliant followers. Hey, Justin, just do what I tell you to do. Why can't you just do what we're asking you to do as opposed to developing Justin into a leader? So there, number one, we spread out responsibility. We spread out the work, but now we have everybody celebrating successes together as opposed to it's just coaches success. It's just these five starters. But anyways, the specific part of that is I would institute either character, leadership, teamwork, some kind of training Mm-hmm. to equip and empower your athletes because almost every coach in America that I have visited with wastes some time in practice. Mm-hmm. There is five, 10, 15 minutes wasted in every practice. Stop wasting practice. Stop wasting time. Plan your practices better, be more intentional, but take that extra time, cut your practices down and spend 15 minutes a week or 15 minutes a day helping your athletes become better. Take something that's in sports every day, ESPN or the newspaper or whatever, address that. Maybe there was a fight last night in a game. Maybe there was a sportsmanship issue. Maybe there's something going on just in the news politically. You can talk about that with your athletes to develop them more, but also so, you know what, when there's a hard foul underneath the basket on your side of the court, you don't have five kids jumping off the bench 
and now you have a melee or you don't have kids responding to an elbow with another elbow. They're the ones that get caught. Mm-hmm. Our teams never got technical fouls. Mm-hmm. Now, we did not have a bunch of church girls and church boys. We had some rough kids. We had some kids that had been in jail. We had kids that were first generation college kids. Mm-hmm. We didn't get technical fouls because we were proactive. We worked on that stuff and we got them to focus on mm-hmm. what they were supposed to be focused on. Mm-hmm. We also didn't have problems with ball hogs. We didn't have a lot of problems with selfishness on teams because we helped them focus on what was most important. Mm-hmm. And we did a lot of team building stuff. We didn't just do it in August. It wasn't right. just, hey, we're going to bring Jamie Beckler in. We're going to bring this right. leadership guy in. He's going to talk to us, do some fun, cool things in August. And then maybe in December, we'll talk about it. And then right before the playoffs, we'll remind them about when Jamie came in. Yeah. No, we're going to do stuff all year long. We're going to do community service stuff. We're going to do all this stuff so that they start to like each other yeah. or they start to tolerate each other. They start to see each other and understand each other. Yeah. And we're always trying to get a team. We're always trying to get all these individuals to come together. Let's do some stuff off the court. Let's talk to them about some stuff. So no matter what the talent level would be taking over a a new program, I would make leadership training right at the top because everything else will fall apart. That's why coaches at midnight are in Waffle House banging their head against the wall, complaining about these kids are idiots. These kids are soft. These kids aren't committed. These kids are fill in the blank. We do that. All of us coaches do that. And that doesn't change just because we put in a new zone offense. The problem might not be the zone offense. The problem might be Jalen and Chris don't trust each other or Jalen and Chris don't like each other Mm -hmm. or Jalen and Chris like each other, but they don't trust me because I don't pat them on the back when they take a charge or when they dive on the the floor for a loose ball. Instead, I say, oh, you're supposed to do that. I don't catch them being good. I don't give them, I don't inspire them. So they don't trust me. I love that. Okay. So the follow-up to that was going to be as a consultant, what is the worst thing you've seen or what should you definitely not do, but you've already pretty much answered that, which is focusing on symptoms. If you want to add anything else to that, great. Yeah. Symptoms. And we're all like that because we've, we're going, we've gone through a pandemic COVID, but it doesn't matter even before that, if you catch the flu, if you catch the cold, most of us, if we're being honest, Mm -hmm. we don't give a rip. If we've got COVID, we don't give a rip. If we've got the flu, we don't give a rip. If we've got pneumonia, we don't want the symptoms of Mm -hmm. that. I want my sniffles to go away. I want my cough to go away. I want my headache to go away. Yeah. We don't care if we're healthy. Most of us as coaches are the same way. Mm -hmm. I don't want to make our team health. I'm not going to put the effort into our team being healthy. I just want Justin and Jamie to stop being ball hogs or to Mm -hmm. stop this. Well, it goes a lot deeper. I think coaches aren't coachable sometimes. Two things with that. One, they're not coachable, even though we want our athletes to be coachable. Mm -hmm. We don't learn and we don't grow and we don't develop and become better ourselves, Mm -hmm. but we want our athletes to do that. But number two, we look at leadership as it's our position. Mm -hmm. I'm in charge. I'm the boss. And that doesn't inspire people. Mm Being around bosses don't inspire people. Being around people of influence, people that help us get from where we are to where we need to be, that inspires people. It's not about your position or your title or your status as a coach. That's not real leadership. Real leaders help others get better. And you don't help others get better because I know a bunch of drills or because I won a whole bunch of games in the past. You inspire people when they feel like they can trust you, when they feel like you're there to help make them better. Uh, I was working with an NBA team and I'm working with this coach and he's working with this all-star, an NBA Mm all-star. They do these individual workouts and the coaches like every day pretty much is what do you want to work on today? Or do you have a drill or do you have something that you've been thinking about that you want to try out? Now, it wasn't that the coach wasn't prepared. The coach wanted to make sure that he was adding value to this player and wanted to make sure that the player felt like he was part of the process. Right. Too oftentimes as coaches, we're leaders from a positional standpoint. Mm -hmm. It's us telling you, it's me telling Justin what he should do because I know better than Justin. Right. And yeah, I might know basketball more, but I may not know what Justin's feeling that day. I might not know just in general. We don't as coaches or leaders, we too oftentimes don't find out what's going through their heads. We don't understand them. How many of us as coaches 
I won't put you on the spot, Justin, but <laughs> do you know all 15 of your players, if you were going to run a play for them, what play they like, or if you're running them off a screen for a shot, how do they like to pivot? What kind of pivot foot do they like? Do they, what, how do they like to catch the ball and shoot? All these kinds of things. We don't sometimes find out really about our players. We don't mm -hmm. seek to understand them. We're just, right. Hey, this is the playbook, run it. Hey, yeah. you're a three. And this is what the three is supposed to do on my play. Right. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And I'm definitely going to sit with that and think about how to implement that. And since you put me on the spot, the answer is no. And part of that is because I'm such a big proponent of like clear, direct role definition to allow people to thrive in that role, right? Like as the athletic director, I'm not asking my swim coach to go coach the football team. This is what you're good at. Go do this, that um, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, but it just never occurred to me. It's that's not their role. So how do I keep them in a space where they can thrive and have success in what it is they're being asked to do? But it's such an intriguing question that I do want to dig into that. Yeah. Here's the other thing since you're man. So says you're lettered in multiple sports in college. And then obviously coached both genders, multiple levels at the college. You're always around your colleagues who are coaching other sports. And then as the AD, you're overseeing everything. If you could put into a synopsis, let's say a handful of things that are very clear. Hey, Justin, basketball coach, I need you to go watch football practice today. What am I going to get out of that? Here's why. Right. What would you say? What would you offer that are takeaway nuggets that were learned by watching other sports, playing other sports that you then were able to implement so people can actually see how important it is to get out of our tunnel and go and see these other things? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I don't know if I've ever thought of it like that. That's one of the few new questions I've gotten or a new perspective. I like that. But I do think it's very important. We all can learn from these other sports. And you just mentioned swim coach a few minutes ago. You don't expect your swim coach to go coach football. Mm -hmm. But I do think we can learn from specific training techniques that coaches have. Mm -hmm. Why are you doing it this way? A swim coach, I'm never going to have to ask my football players to do X, Y, and Z. They're never going to have to be in a pool or they're not going to have to run for as long as a swimmer has to swim. No, but some of the same concepts of interval training or some of the same concepts of your clocking or how you just interact with them or how you put together a relay. Now, a relay, I think football is the ultimate team sport, to be honest. Yeah. There might be a smaller sport that I'm not thinking of, but I was a basketball coach. Football is much more of a team sport than, than basketball is. You go to a football practice and if all those people have to be working together, it's not going to work. Well, swim, you put together people on a relay, even though you think that, or track, I ran track in college. You think, all right, what does that have to do? You just put the stinking four fastest people together. How, what does that matter? It matters because maybe your four fastest people are also the four fastest in three other events. Maybe they're going to get tired out. Maybe they're really good at all these events, but maybe Justin doesn't swim as well with the butterfly if he's got to do it after the freestyle but he's okay with doing the butterfly if it's after the breaststroke or, or whatever. And, and I don't know this. I, I probably, right. I don't know this kind of stuff, but I do know that people aren't all the same in track. I ran all the relays. That's because our track team wasn't very good, but I was fast enough to be good at everything. I wasn't fast enough to be a stud at anything. Mm -hmm. So I was on all the relays because I was good, but I was like the fourth man not the anchor. I was like the fourth fastest or the number one slowest, however you want to look at it. But let's say the four by 100, the guy ahead of me ran 110. The guy after me ran 110. I ran 80 mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because the coach was, I'm going to be as far in my lane or in that zone as possible before the guy ahead of me hands off. And I'm going to hand it off at the start of the zone mm -hmm. because I'm the slowest guy on this relay. The coach is covering up. He's maximizing his strengths on his team. He's minimizing his weaknesses. So no matter what sport you coach, that should always be that. That's one of the number one things is how are you maximizing your strengths? Mm -hmm. How are you minimizing your weaknesses mm -hmm. in, in any way? As a basketball coach, and yes, I was at the college level. I still think the same holds true for the high school level. Right now, coach, I don't believe 
in November, when you start your season, that's the time to work on your kids' weaknesses. Now, people will disagree with me on that. I don't believe that's the time if a kid can't dribble with his left hand that you're going to work on his left hand. That's the time that you're going to maximize his strengths to help the team. In the off season is when you can work on all these weaknesses. So I would take kids as a college coach, man, if you can't dribble with your left hand, then it's not my job to help you dribble with your left hand. It's my job to put you in a position on the court where you don't have to dribble with your left hand. Yep. If you can't catch and shoot really quickly, if you're someone that has to catch the ball and then you, you spin it around 27 times and you got to get your footwork just right, then I sure as heck better put you in a position where it doesn't have to be a quick shot, where you're coming off like five different screens, or there's a whole lot of drive, driving, penetrating, where someone has to help off and you're wide open. Mm -hmm. You've got to put your people in positions to be successful, no matter what sport you're coaching. Yeah. Geez. And we don't oh. do that. I've seen that in football. Sorry. La last point yeah. about that. Obviously every football coach is smarter about their team than I am from the outside about their team. Mm -hmm. But but lots of coaches get caught up in this positional thing in terms of not positional leadership, mm -hmm. but well, you play this position. We only say basketball. Well, you're a point guard. We only have one point guard on the floor. Shoot. If, if your two point guards are two of your best players, you better find a way to get them on the floor. Mm -hmm. Football. He's a quarterback. Yeah. But could he be a wide receiver? Could he be in a different position? Can you get your playmakers on the field? Can you put people in positions to maximize their strengths, but also along with the team concept. And a lot of football coaches don't do that. Yeah. Football coaches always, they get so position focused instead of putting these people in different, I mean, Bill Belichick, and this is a silly example, but Bill Belichick didn't look at Julian Edelman and say, yeah, I'm not sure he could be our fourth string quarterback. We're not going to carry a lot of quarterbacks. He was a good quarterback at Kent state, but I just don't see him fit. I, I don't think, I don't think we can keep him. Right. No, it's like this dude could do something else. Yep. yep. And then he could be our emergency quarterback, but this dude could do something else. Yeah. No, it's such a good example. And I wouldn't say it's unique to football coaches. I think it's the easiest because of how they have to practice to use as an anecdote. And I was just sitting here thinking it's, whoa, you're right. How do I get to basketball season in three weeks and treat it like a football practice where you're allowing people to work on strengths and do certain things and getting more efficient. And at the same time, your comment about the dribbling, it's the same as if we were talking about golf, we go up to the golf course and I can't hit the driver in the fairway. That's not the time to try to get better at the driver. Let's keep it in the bag. Let me hit the seven iron. <laughs> and so I love both of those analogies. And I think a lot of golden nuggets there. All right. You can answer this however you want. Cause you've got a lot of spaces you work in, but I always give this promo to this, but Dave Stahoviak runs a podcast called Coaching for Leaders, I think. And I, on my bike, I listen to it and I'm out in the middle of Carmel Valley about two hours into this ride and he gets to the end of the episode and it's, hey, what have you most recently changed your mind on? And I was like, whoa, that's a really good question. And it doesn't even matter what the answer is, but it's the, the, the premise of, are you constantly reevaluating your beliefs? So for you, what is something that you've most recently changed your mind on. I used to be over here. Now I'm over here. And here's why. I will give you the most recent one. And I already mentioned it without actually saying it's the most recent. It's the whole buy-in thing. And I don't remember where I heard it from, but I heard it like two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. I heard somebody say the buy-in thing and it clicked for me because I always said, and even you probably read my books and I probably talk about buy-in. Mm -hmm. I'm sure because that's been something I've said for years is we got to get kids that buy in. Mm -hmm. But I heard it about two weeks ago and I forget who I heard it from. I wish I could remember because I'd love to give them credit. But buy in is essentially you're trying to get someone to agree with you mm -hmm. as opposed to all of you collaborating and taking ownership in the process. So that's the most recent thing that I've changed my mind on. The other thing that came to mind right away, and it's not necessarily a recent thing, but it's since I was in coaching. So I've come to this since I was in coaching, but I used to talk about, you can be a leader by example, or you could be a verbal leader. Not everybody's going to be a verbal leader. Mm -hmm. it, it was what I coached like. That was my thought. There's a role for everyone. You can be a, everyone should lead by example, do what's right, but not everyone's going to be a rah, rah verbal leader. 
since I got out of coaching, I've changed my thought on this. And I 100% believe that everybody is a verbal leader. Hmm. Everybody is a verbal leader, unless you don't have a tongue. If you can't talk, and I've come up with three ways that everyone's a verbal leader. One is everybody can inform. Secondly, everybody can remind and everybody can encourage. Hmm. So informing, hey, Justin, coach said we're going to meet in the weight room today instead of meeting in the locker room. I just informed you verbally of something that's going to lead you to do something you're supposed to do. So I have verbally led you and influenced you forward. Uh, reminder, this is something that I've changed my vocabulary on for years now. I, I try not to talk about accountability very often, of kids holding people accountable, because accountability takes on a negative connotation with kids. That's a power thing. Right. That's a, I'm above you, or I'm the policeman, or I'm in charge of you. Mm -hmm. And kids don't want to do that. They're kids, they're peers, they're friends. So I've started talking about reminding. Mm -hmm. We're reminding each other of what our standards are, or I'm just reminding Justin of what his goals are. I'm reminding Justin of what he told me before the season. Mm -hmm. I'm reminding Justin of something. Mm -hmm. So verbally, I can remind my teammates of, hey, remember when we worked? Remember when we worked all those days back in August? I was 100 degrees and we're sweating and all this kind of stuff. Man, remember that's for this moment. You're verbally remind, and it doesn't even have to be a rah-rah thing, but yeah. you're just like, hey, Justin, remember when you told me that your goal was to be all conference? Right. What you did yesterday at practice, did that help you get there? When you got into it with coach, I know coach was kind of being a jerk. Did you getting into it with coach help you be all conference? I'm just reminding. And then the third one is encouraging. Everybody can encourage. Hey, Justin, I know you can do this. I saw you do this last Tuesday, or I know you can do this, whatever. So those three things are something I've changed my mind on. I think everybody can be a verbal leader. I really like those for two reasons. One, they're tangible. You can touch those. You can grab them tomorrow and you can implement that. Two, it is shifting the vocabulary, which I think we don't do a whole lot of because we were brought up this way. This is what we're going to do, but that might not serve this generation. And people talk about kids are different. No, like kids are a product of their environment and we need to meet them where they are. If we're going to help them achieve the success that we want them to, that then ultimately helps the program. So I love those are super tangible, implementatable examples. And I'm really pumped on those. I want to get those out there. Okay, so let's do this. You've got. The book that I got connected with you on, the leadership playbook and the curriculum that you've developed there. And then you've got the book we mentioned in the title, The Bus Trip. What's the premise of the bus trip in a five second version? If people, they want to get into that and figure out how that could help them. And then two, the leadership playbook and the accessibility of that curriculum and how you would implement that telling us earlier, everybody should be doing these leadership lessons. What does that look like? How is that accessible? Where can people get those so that they can actually have a plan for doing this instead of, like you said, being up here in the ether of the concept? Yeah, I appreciate you mentioning both of those things. Let me start with the bus trip. And in, in the premise behind the bus trip, it's a fictional book. If people have read John Gordon's books, mm -hmm. I, I tried to write a fictional book like that. That's what I like to read. So I tried to write one like that. It's essentially a team that's struggling and it covers them essentially on one bus trip. Mm -hmm. And they have different situations and different conversations throughout the day in the evening that eventually brings all of the players to an understanding that they need to be better teammates and more positive leaders. And they're not doing that. This is not coach centered. The coach is neither good nor bad in this book. Mm -hmm. The coach is human. The coach is flawed. The coach means well, but this is not about a coach doing something for the team. I wanted to write this so that a coach could give this to his team members, his team, his players, and essentially say how he wants them to be good teammates and, and more positive leaders. We talked about accountability earlier. This is a book about holding your teammates accountable in a way, if you want to say that, I don't like using that word, but it's constant reminders. It's Justin and Jamie being friends. And Justin reminds Jamie of, Hey man, what you're doing, that's not what you should be doing. Hey. And they all come to these different conclusions on this bus trip. And they're, and especially if you're 
a basketball team, but you could be almost any team. You're going to recognize this. I've had so many athletes be like, it's almost like you were on our trips with us. They're stopping at rest areas. They're stopping at restaurants. They're having a parent confront a coach after a game. There's all these things that go on in the back of the bus, conversations that go on mm-hmm. in the back of the bus. And, and that's when your culture is made or broken sometimes. And so I wanted to give a tool that coaches could give to their athletes to say what maybe the players wouldn't listen to their coaches, but the coaches would want to say it. Sometimes coaches become like Charlie Brown's teacher while Mm want. So I know that was more than five seconds, but really get excited about that book as well as our next book that comes out of Thanksgiving, the captain, which is more specific to when you are in a leadership position, are you an actual real leader? Or are you just the captain? Are you, everybody should bow down to me because I'm the awesome captain, but that kind of, I'm exaggerating, but. Yeah, but you're potentially sending this into a rabbit hole that I really want to go into. And we might have to come back for a second episode on on captaincy and your philosophy on the usefulness of it versus not. So I'm going to press pause on that for now, because I think I have some outlier thoughts on that. And I don't think we have time to go down that rabbit hole. Okay, leadership playbook, which... Again, I got involved a little bit early in, in some feedback loops and, and helping to try to, you know, give you opportunities to hear from us and what we thought about it. And now starting to implement it with our program. What would you say are some low hanging fruit that you know, someone could do today at practice that would move the needle? Yeah, the leadership playbook, there's a lot of components to it, but the main component that most coaches are using, most ADs are using is the two minute video lessons. Mm -hmm. There's hundreds of video lessons, two minutes. You can watch it on your phone or tablet. So it's on all different kinds of stuff. Verbal leadership. We talk about, there's a two minute section on being in a verbal leader for information. How are you going to inform your teammates? Two minutes on that. Mm -hmm. And we do these video lessons. They're, they're me talking slideshows, but you can, and each one has discussion questions. That was uh, some feedback that I know you and your staff gave us early on in the beta testing, but every lesson has discussion questions, five, six, seven questions. So you don't have to recreate the wheel. Mm -hmm. So you could go as deep as you want. We have coaches that are spending an hour on video lessons. Mm -hmm. We have other coaches that, Hey, watch this two minute video lesson before practice tomorrow. And we're going to talk about it for five minutes at practice. Yeah. You can do it however you want. So if you don't want to devote much time to it, you don't have to, Mm -hmm. but you can fill up your kids' heads with ideas mm-hmm. from a perspective or a point of view that they might not have seen before. Yeah. So, so I'll just give you one, one little example. We talked about being a captain earlier, a captaincy or whatever, or being a positional leader. Mm-hmm. We have a lesson on Jackie Robinson, not when Jackie Robinson was anything special, not when Jackie Robinson was a captain, but his first year when he's breaking in. Mm-hmm. And most of us have seen the movie 42 about Jackie Robinson. There's a scene in there where his home crowd is actually booing him. They don't like him because he's different. He's black. He's the rookie. That's different. His home crowd is booing him. The beloved shortstop Pee Wee Reese walks over, puts his arm around him and the crowd stops booing. That's when you can use power, your power for good. That's when you can be a captain or a positional leader, or you're the star of the team and you can keep hazing from happening in your locker room. You can keep people from talking about the coach. You can keep people from picking on the freshmen or, hey, the freshmen aren't going to carry bags because I'm carrying both of these bags right now. Or I'm going to be the last person in line at this restaurant. So I say all that. Those are the kinds of lessons we have, both from sports and his- history, modern day, current events, to give you a different perspective on a certain topic. Yeah. If anyone that's listening wants to reach out and get in touch with you, I'll give you a second to tell them where, but having got to look behind the curtain and use some of these things, that last example is so powerful. It's like you get this trickle down of, all right, I'm a senior now. I had to do this as a freshman. And it's like, no, flip the script on that, right? Lead in the way in which you wish it would have happened for you. So I think that's also a great little soundbite to end on there. Where can people, best place for them to find you if they want more information on any of this? Yeah, the best place to follow me is just if you're on Twitter, Coach Beckler, at Coach Beckler. I try to put everything on there. We try to give you positive insights stuff. You're not going to know what my favorite sport is. You're not going to know who I voted for in an election. You're not going to know who, what team I root for. 
you're going to get positive inspiration, motivational leadership, teamwork stuff there. But you also uh, can find our podcast. You can find our books. You can find the leadership playbook there as well. But the site for the leadership playbook is theleadershipplaybook.com. And we have programs for if you're just a sports team or in your case, the whole, your whole athletic department has access to it. Awesome. And I re- highly recommend it. Like you just said, my whole department has access to it. There's a reason for that. Please check it out and uh, see what you can get out of it and help these kids. Cause that's what we're here to do. Coach, appreciate you being here today. And I am definitely getting back with you to talk about this captain piece. I appreciate it. Thanks for all that you do as an AD and with this podcast. Once, a, once again, appreciate that. This podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com. As coaches, our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better. Teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach, and he's never turned down a Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Element is thrilled to be releasing a new limited time flavor this November, Element Milk Chocolate. I drink Element every day to support my workouts and being on the court and in the classroom. As a member of our community, Element has a special offer for you. Claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours today at drinkelement, that's L-M-N-T dot com slash contacts.